We turn now to the Word of God. We begin with the Gospel according to Luke and chapter 24. This is Luke's version of uh, Jesus' appearance to the disciples. Earlier in chapter 24, Jesus had appeared to two who were walking on the road to Emmaus, spent some time with them, explained some things to them, and, uh, and then revealed himself to them in the breaking of the bread, and then disappeared from their sight. They were so excited that uh, they, they ran eight miles at night back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples, we've seen the Lord. And the disciples said, yeah, us too. In verse 36, it continues, As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate it before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold. I am sending you the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. When the power from on high came, they experienced marvels in them and through them. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8 says a little bit about the impact of the spirit of the resurrected Christ on those who believe. Hear this reading from Romans chapter 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, you, however, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Somebody say hallelujah. Wow. Do you believe it? We'll see. We'll see. Oh, I never dismissed the young lions. I'm sorry. My apologies. If there are any children 5 to 11 and your folks want you to head downstairs, uh, Miss Joanne is there waiting for you. And uh, you're welcome to stay here if you like. But uh, little ones are welcome to go downstairs as well. So a funny thing happened on the way to the sermon. I started preparing for this sermon even before I knew I was going to preach. I just didn't, didn't know that that's what I was doing. It started when I began several weeks ago. I was uh, just impressed upon me that I ought, to, I ought to pick up the Gospel of Matthew and read the Gospel of Matthew. So I did. I started reading the Gospel of Matthew. Well, I never made it out of the first chapter which you're very thankful that I'm not reading for you this morning. The first chapter of the Gospel of Matthew is mostly made up of the genealogy of Jesus, beginning with Abraham, going through King David, and all the way down to Joseph, the husband of Mary. Forty-two names. And if I read them to you and mispronounced them, you'd never know. So I was reading, and I'm why am I reading this? Most of these people, I don't know. Who are those guys? Mostly guys. A few women are mentioned. And by the way, I'm going to be using this phrase all morning long, who are those guys? And I mean it in a, in a neutral way, guys encompassing men and women both, all people. Who are those guys, right? And when this phrase, anyway, came into my mind, who are those guys? And, and something was in the back of my mind saying, you've heard that phrase before. You've heard that phrase before. And some of you have heard that phrase before. I began circling in in my mind, and I said, that's from a movie. There's a movie where that phrase is prominent. Who are those guys? And I couldn't figure it out, so I followed the, wife, the advice of my wife. Google it. It's from the movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid uh, are played by Paul Newman, you know, the salad dressing guy, Newman's own, right? And Robert Redford, they're two notorious outlaws infamous for robbing trains and banks. At one point in the movie, a rich man that they have robbed multiple times hires a posse and an expert tracker to go after Butch and the Kid. As the outlaws try to escape, the posse is relentless in following, 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 regardless of how clever Butch and the kid are in trying to avoid them. At one point, after days on the run, they think they've finally eluded them. They're hiding up behind some rocks on a hillside, and they look way back in the distance, and their would-be captors are still coming. They look 
They see them in the distance continuing the pursuit and they turn to one another and one of them utters the famous line, Who are those guys? This is repeated a number of times as the story unfolds. Who are those guys that are able to to, to keep tracking us? That's what the question I was asking. I was reading the genealogy of Jesus. Who are those guys? Why are they in the word of God anyway? When I was pondering that question, the same question popped into my mind regarding two other groups of people. One was the apostles, the early disciples of Jesus. Who are those guys? And then another group of people came to mind. You. Who are those guys? I look out over the congregation and I wonder, who are you? Because the apostles, God called them to plant, to begin the church. And there was a commission of what they were supposed to do. And the apostles began to do it. And we are called to continue it. By the way, who are those guys? I know that's me too. All right? It's not just you. It's all of us. Right? The call upon the church is no different today than it was back, back then. There are three things, or more than three things, but three things that you could preach about regarding the resurrection of Jesus. One is what God is doing for us. He died on the cross for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, for redemption, for salvation. I'm not going to talk about that today. You could talk about what God is doing in us, how he's healing, giving hope and new life, and power to overcome sin in our lives and resist temptation. I'm not going to talk about that today either. What I want to talk about is not what God is doing for us or what God is doing in us, but what God is doing through us. All right? That's our focus today. So who are those guys? Who are the illustrious people who were the forefathers and foremothers of the world's Savior? The 42 names listed there in in the Gospel of Matthew in the genealogy. Who are those guys? Well, here's a description of a few of them. I actually studied them one by one. I went to each name. I got this great, big, huge, four-volume encyclopedia of the Bible, and I'm looking up every name to see what I can learn about who are those guys. The first one, of course, is Abraham, the first Jew, out of whom God brought forth the children of Abraham, the nation of Israel. A Bedouin uh, caravaner, a friend of God, a man of faith and action, a man who liked to bargain, a husband of two wives, a man who disowned his firstborn son. Hmm. Abraham. Another one on the list is his grandson Jacob. Jacob, who stole his older brother's birthright, had 12 sons by four women, wrestled with God, and doted on one of his younger sons so blatantly that his brothers sold him into slavery and told their father he was dead. The story of Joseph and the amazing Technicolor dream coat. As the, as the play was called. Now, very unusual for a, a genealogy, the genealogies are all over the Bible and all over the ancient world, this one lists four women. Women were not often included. Sorry, ladies, but women were not often included in genealogies. But what women? Listen. 
a prostitute. A woman who pretended to be a prostitute in a scheme to become impregnated by her father-in-law. An adulterous woman. And Ruth, one of the most faithful women in the Old Testament who was a widow, but was also a foreigner. A non-Jew in the ancestry of Jesus. There are 15 kings of Israel listed in this list. Of those 15, three of them are described in the Bible as righteous. Three out of 15. Six of them are recorded as being absolutely thoroughly wicked. Wicked in all the ways you can think of wicked might be. These are in the ancestry of Jesus. Five of them had a mixed legacy. You know, they kind of had good days and bad days. Maybe they started off good and ended up bad or vice versa. And that, I didn't mention King David. I didn't count King David. You know, the King David. The only person in the Bible that's ever described as a man after God's own heart. How would you like to be called a man or a woman after God's own heart? If that's, that's the way people see you. That was King David. Jesus is called oftentimes the son of David. The Jews understood that God had promised that a descendant from David would be on the throne of Israel. The Messiah. That's the David. Yeah, he's in that list. The lying, adulterous murderer David. Yep, same guy. And then in that list, there were 12 people about whom nothing whatsoever is known. I mean, literally, I'm looking up in my Bible encyclopedia, and I come across this name, and it says, the only thing it says is so-and-so, an ancestor of Jesus. That's the only thing they know about him. Now, the reason I'm going into all this is because, have you ever heard the saying, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? What is, that, what is that about? It means that kids are often a lot like their parents and grandparents, right? So with a list of ancestry, 42 people long like this, who do you expect Jesus to be? And out of those people, they got Jesus, the Savior, the Holy One the one who never sinned, the one who gave his life for the sins of the world. That's a pretty motley crowd of people to bring such a, forth such an amazing result, isn't it? Wow. Who are those people? Who are those guys? Those guys are a real mixed lot and they're Jesus is the fruit. Is that an amazing God or what? The apple fell pretty far from the tree. What about the apostles? Who are those guys? The ones of whom that Jesus uh, exclaimed to them however many times, oh, ye of little faith. How many times did they not get it, what Jesus was about? After all the miracles they had seen and the power that Jesus had, they still seemed to rarely believe that he could do it again. 
They doubted. He, he fed 5,000 men plus all the women and children with a few loaves and a few fish. And then a couple of weeks later, there's a big crowd of 4,000 and they said, where are you going to get food for him, Jesus? <laughs> hey! Where, where, where? All of them ardently protested that they would stand by Jesus when he was arrested. Jesus said that, that you were going to desert me And Peter said, no, I'm going to die with you. And all the rest of them said likewise. And what happened when Jesus was arrested? They flittered away into the darkness. All except Peter and John. God bless them. Brave enough to at least follow at a distance and see what happened. Until Peter got called out and then denied Jesus three times. And when it came to the cross, the only one of the apostles left was the apostle John. And a group of faithful women. Who were these guys anyway? How about that Thomas fellow? You know, in the Bible reading that Carol did earlier? You know what I call Thomas? I call him Eeyore. You know, like Winnie the Pooh? Eeyore, right? No, didn't happen. (laughs) There's there's another story in the the Gospel of John, the, the healing of Lazarus. And before the healing of Lazarus, Jesus is, is a couple days away. He hears that Lazarus is sick. Lazarus lives close to Jerusalem, and Jesus has been in trouble in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, now I'm going to go. And they're saying, you don't want to do that. You, you don't want to do that. Bad things are going to happen if you get back to Jerusalem. And Jesus says, I'm going. And so what does Thomas say? Well, let us also go that we may die with him. Okay, is that Eeyore? All right, right? And Peter, who so often seems to know what Jesus should do and not do even better than Jesus does, and James and John, the sons of thunder, who were anxious to call down judgment on those who opposed them and were conniving for places of honor and power in Jesus' kingdom. These these brave, courageous world changers who were locked away in the upper room for fear of the Jews. They were hiding These were the ones to whom Jesus entrusted the salvation of the world. The Great Commission. You know, he said to them, go and make disciples of all nations. These guys? Who are those guys that that should be entrusted to them? Were they traveling men? How many stamps did they have in their passports? One. Who are these homeboys that they're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations? By the way, how did they do? You're here. And so are believers all around the world. The the work isn't done yet. But how they, this ridiculous crew of fishermen and tax collectors and, and uneducated folks, they laughed. They waited in Jerusalem until they were clothed with power on high, and then they witnessed to Jesus in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And they changed the world. How did they do that? How did this group of blue-collar workers with little education, no social standing, no position or authority in the world accomplish what they accomplished? Answer? By the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Working in them, through them. They weren't all that smart. 
They weren't all that wise. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that resurrected Jesus. Listen to what Paul says in uh, 1 Corinthians. He's talking to the Corinthians who are struggling, uh, having some division between them, and and, uh, he's trying to call them to to unity. And um, and, and he says to them, "Just, just imagine if your pastor said this to you. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of noble birth. He's talking about you. But God chose the foolish things of the world. (laughs) You feel your pastor building you up? God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become wisdom from God. That is our righteousness and holiness and redemption. Paul says, when I came to you, I did not come with superior wisdom. And eloquence, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And as he preached the cross, the Spirit of God did the work. So when it comes to the apostles, who are those guys? Guys in whom the Spirit of God dwelled. The resurrected power of Christ worked through them. So, now to our third group. Who are you guys? Who are you guys? Who are you as an individual? What do you got? What do you got? What do you got to offer? Now, in a group of people like this, some of you are highly educated, some of you are not. Some of you have read through the Bible many times. Some of you can't find the book of Genesis. Maybe I went a little too far. <laughs> okay. right. Some of you got money. Some of you don't. Some of you live pretty righteous lives. Some of you stumble a whole lot more than you're willing to admit. Right. Oh, I saw some interesting eye movements there. <laughs> Who are your movers and shakers in the world? Lest I mislead you, I ask this question often. Who am I? I'm a pastor, retired pastor. When I was born, my father was a parking lot attendant. I came from a broken home. I lived for a while in an orphanage. I lived four years in a foster home. I grew up in Maryland. And I was as homeboy as homeboy gets. I never imagined when I was a child that I would ever live anywhere else than Maryland. My father married a woman, and her family was from West Virginia. And the first time... We went to West Virginia. 
I'm thinking, whew, I'm a world traveler now. Yeah, we crossed two state lines, in case you don't know your geography. Went from Maryland to Virginia to West Virginia. And when I was 17 years old and the notion came that I ought to go visit Mars, also known as Vermont, <laughs> I remember thinking, what a, what, a, what, a, what an odyssey this will be to go to some exotic place like Vermont. I, what I'm telling you is that I wasn't that kind of guy. I was a kind of a stay-at-home, never expected to make much of a difference in the world. I never saw myself as a person of influence and standing, and I still don't. I've served three congregations, this one and in Maine and, and up in Lindenville, Vermont. And believe it or not, I've served God in five different countries. Well, six when you count this one. I never, ever, ever dreamed that God would want me to do any of that, that I would make any difference in any place at all. Believe it or not, you may not know this. This is some self-revelation here. But every once in a while, someone will come to me and, and might say something like, you know, I remember when you preached about and I don't even hear the rest. I'm thinking, why would anybody ever want to remember anything a guy like me had to say? Answer? Because it wasn't me. God decided, for whatever reason, to pull me up out of my lonely self. And he wanted me to do something. And he wanted me to make a difference. So he called me to himself. And then he poured out his power on me. I'm not boasting. I'm saying Jesus raised me up from the garbage heap and said, I got something I want to do with you. Come on, Lord, do it. Who are those guys? What's your story? If you were in the genealogy of Jesus, would you be one of those three righteous kings or one of the six really wicked ones? Or is it maybe a mixed story? Would you be a faithful disciple or would you be one that was really trying to do it on your own? God has great things in store for you to do. That's what he said in Romans chapter 8. Did you hear it? If Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, answer the question, is the spirit of, of him who raised Jesus from the dead living in you? Then he also, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies now through his spirit who lives in you. Enabling you to make a difference out there that you could never make if it wasn't so. So here's the point. I've been working my way toward this for a long time. Church, expect more of yourself. Expect that you will be used by the Spirit of God to make a difference. That the world will be different because you walk through it in the power of the resurrected Christ.
out of that whole motley crew that was Jesus' genealogy, what did he bring forth? The Son of God. Out of the apostles and all of their bumbling and stumbling, what did he create? He created a worldwide church that celebrates Jesus. I'm speaking to you as individuals, but also as a church. You have at your disposal the power of Christ to make a huge difference in your world. Expect that it will be so. Expect that it will be so. Right? This isn't about just hunkering down here. We're, we're celebrating together what God has done in us. And we have good fellowship together. Love just being able to be with you, pray with you, talk with you, eat with you, eat with you. Yeah, that's best. Like that, right? And to lift one another up and to teach one another and encourage one another, right? And the things that God is doing in us and the things that God is doing for us, hallelujah. And what is God going to do through us? Now we're going all the way back to the beginning of the service. And remember when I said something about you're going to be thinking about soccer camp? <laughs> what can God do through us among, in the midst of all those children in our community? What is it that God is calling on us to do? Where is God calling us to be witnesses by his power to change our community and our world? You may be thinking... I'm not able, and I'm not worthy. You are correct. You are not able, and you are not worthy. But he is. And that power that came forth from that tomb, you can't see my tie. It's my resurrection tie. It's got a lion on it coming out of the tomb. There's powerful life. And it's in you. Let's pray. Thank you, O Lord. You are amazing. That you would choose ones like us to do such a mighty work. Yet your word declares that it's so. You've called us to go and make disciples of all nations. You've called us to make disciples here in our own community. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would see and hear your call, know your power, and be faithful to what you're asking us to be about, for what you will be doing through us. We ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.